Now, let's, let's turn to Romans 11. What do you say? Now, guys, before I'm going to read, Romans 11 is fairly long. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, which I normally do, but I, I'm just going to read you the first 10 verses. But before I read the first 10 verses of Romans 11, I, I feel compelled to say this. Um, I may be completely off the mark here, so just, just chalk it up as, well, he's, he's in his dotage. Um, it is a turbulent time out there. There's a lot of you who have very deep concerns about all that's going on with the economy and the stock market and AIG and Merrill Lynch and yada, yada, building and uh, subprimes and all that business. I mean, I just know that I know it's going on. <laughs> I, 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 my thought was, here we're going to talk about the future of Israel, and people are really more concerned about the future of America, <laughs> the future of AIG. Um, and we're going to be, and it's like, um, it might it might strike you as a bit insensitive that you know we got all these concerns and you're you know troubling us with this all. Let me say this, guys. Um, I'm not going to comment on Wall Street or um, or AIG um, because I don't really think that's what you need to hear. What I think you need to hear is that God is good and God is sovereign and. Um, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, what we all need is a bigger God. And pain has a way of doing that. That's what God said to Job. And that's what I want to say to you. In the midst of all this, by the way, I'm not going to address that, but I am going to address, I'm, I'm starting a new little series on the Psalms this Sunday. And the Psalms is full of references to the issue of fear. And we will, we will address fear, because that's really what we're dealing with. You know, fear about our jobs, fear about the economy. Fear about, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll address that then. Right now we're going to stick with Romans 11. But just a, just a quick image which I hope will help you in the night. That is, if, you're, um, if your palms are sweating and you're worried about whether your job will be there tomorrow morning, I just hope this, it's a, it's a quick little thing, I just want to give you this image that hopefully will calm your soul in the midst of turbulence. It's, it's, uh, it's the um, image taken from 1 Samuel 17 when David is fighting Goliath. You know the story. Um, I'm not going to read it. It's just David fighting Goliath, and he shows up, and there's Goliath out there, and he's just taunting the armies of Israel. And, and uh, David shows up and says, what's going on here? Why does he defy the armies of Israel? Why do you all let him get away with that? And, and the, the concern was, or the problem was that the armies of Israel were overwhelmed with the problem that they faced. And because they stared at a huge problem, it kind of unplugged them from the, the, the very thing that they needed. David walks up and says, oh yeah, the problem's big. And if you compare the problem with the armies of Israel, it's a big problem. But what David saw is not, not Goliath compared with the armies of Israel, but Goliath compared with the God of Israel. Here's the little image. I'm just... I just want to tuck it in your heads, and hopefully it will speak peace to you tonight if, if you're struggling to sleep. Get your eyes off Goliath and focus on the God of the armies of Israel. Goliath gets real small if you're, if you're concentrating on Yahweh. If you concentrate on Goliath, your palms will sweat. So... 
I'm just trying to transfer your your focus. Guys, um, ultimately, this is going to be good. I don't know how that's all going to play out. But God has promised that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So fix your mind and your attention on the bigness of the God, uh, not the bigness of the problem. Get your eyes off of Goliath. Look at Yahweh. I, I hope that will at least let you know that I do know that it's going on out there. And I, I, I think about you a lot. I think about the struggles that so many of you had if you're in the financial world or you're in the building world or uh, just about, I mean, everything's going to be affected, I, I guess. So forget Goliath. He's big and he's hairy and he's audacious and it's ugly. But I mean, he shrinks into nothingness next to the, the beauty and the sovereignty and the goodness of Yahweh. Okay, okay. now, I, I just felt like at least something needed to be said. Romans chapter 11, you, uh, you follow. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And um, guys, uh, if, you like, if you like controversy, um, you came for the right study. <laughs> Here we go. I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. David says... Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Whoa. Guys, let me start with a, just a brief little... Keep your, keep your, your Bibles open. You're going to need them. But um, I, I want to start for, for reasons that you will understand in a moment. Um, I want to start with a brief little history lesson of Grace Van. Our first worship service at Grace Van was on um, February the 10th of 1991. Actually, uh, Grace Van was incorporated under the name of Hilarion, Inc. If you don't know, Hilarion is the Greek word that's translated cheerful in cheerful giving. Um, uh, the, 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 we were incorporated under the name of Hilarion on December the 28th of 1990. And our first worship service was um, February the 10th of 1991. We occupied this first building, this building right here that you're in. This was our first building with that uh, surrounding wall uh, or quarter, I think. Uh, on February the 20th of 1994. So we entered this building on February the 20th of 1994. Just prior to that, and I forget exactly when. Uh, it was three or four months, maybe two or three months. I forget when. But the builder came to me. I was out here walking around. He came to me. He said, uh, by the way, I've been meaning to tell you this. Um, you need to come up 
with a cornerstone and an inscription for the cornerstone, and I need it quickly. Now, guys, um, you may not have noticed. I don't know how long you've been going to Gracie Van, um, but you may not have noticed. But Gracie Van has a cornerstone. It's right out there. In that red brick, there is a, in one of the columns, there is a white piece about the size of this thing right here, this podium. There is a cornerstone at Gracie Van. And the builder comes and says, listen, uh, you know, we're, we're bricking the thing up. Uh, we, we, I got to have it, and, I, and we're going to have to get it, the inscription. I need it fast. Now, you might, you might think that that would have been a very arduous process in terms of trying to select something that we wanted to, to live with us forever. Uh, I mean, of, of all the little things that you could have said, you know, um, uh, birds of a feather flock together or, you know, something, something profound or, or something pithy or something cute, something memorable, or n- not to mention the plethora or of great Bible verses that were available that we could have chosen, that I could have chosen. Um, but I have to tell you, the decision-making process was almost instantaneous. Uh, it was it is virtually instantaneous. I, I he said he wanted. I said I got it. You want it? Here it is. Let me read it to you. For from him, and through him, and to him, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I could still get teary-eyed over that. By the way, that's the last verse of Romans 11. In my opinion, there is no greater statement of the sovereignty of God than Romans chapter 11, verse 36. And that's on our cornerstone, right out there. You go out tonight and you check it out. It's right out there. Think of that, ladies and gentlemen. Think of what the Apostle Paul is saying. For from him, that is, he is the origin, he is the, he is the source, and through him, he is the mediator, he is the provider, he is the, he's the providential God. He's the, for, so from him and through him and to him. Everything ultimately is going to belong to him. It's all going to go back to him. Everything for, from him and through him and to him are all things. And then, then all Paul could say was, to him be the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> that, that might explain a little bit um, as to why I really love Romans chapter 11. It, it, it contains a piece, in my opinion, of unparalleled doxology. You know what the doxology is, don't you? Glory be to the Father and to the... No, that's, that's, no, that's, that's the uh, glory of Patry. Um, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. That one. You know, the doxology is praise, praise, praise. Because the word doxa, uh, the Greek word doxa means glory. A doxology is a, is a statement of His glory. There's none better, in my opinion, than Romans chapter 11, verse 36, which we will get to eventually. So hang in there. It'll be in the spring, probably. But um, it provides, that is, verse 36 provides a very fitting conclusion to this whole section of Scripture, Romans 9, 10, and 11, which deals with the question of the Jews. 
By the way, I, I have to tell you that this verse 36 is also an interpretive key. Uh, I'll try to explain that in the spring, but it's and it's interpretive key in terms of the past and the future. But we'll we'll have to wait come to that later. Now, having said that, by, by way of just a little bit of a history lesson, um, let me introduce you to a new word. At least some of you, um, maybe 90% of you know this word, but some of you have never heard this word. Um, it is the it is the it is the English word eschatology. Now, a lot of you know that word. It comes from a um, a Greek word. Um, uh, let's see, um, um, eschatology. I forget what the, what the but but uh, eschatology. Uh, eschatos is a is a Greek word that means last. Eschatology is the study of last things. Now, guys, um, the future of Israel, the future of national ethnic Israel, is one of the enormous discussions that goes on in this study. Consequently, Romans 11 is full of controversy. Uh, let, let me just give you a, um, a preview. Look at verse 26. Verse, verse 26. Um, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Gang, that is enormously complex. It has to do, that is Romans 11. By the way, Romans 10 9, 10, and 11 are dealing with the question of the Jews. But Romans 11 in particular has to do with the future of Israel. Now, some of you don't give a wit about the future of Israel. Well, I understand that. Um, But in terms of God's unfolding purposes for the future, Israel is right in the center. So for you to have any kind of interest in eschatological issues whatsoever, you're going to have to deal with this. By the way, we do teach an intensive here. Will Savell teaches it uh, on the issue. By the, for all of you who unfortunately read Left Behind, you will know um, that Israel is right in the center of some things. Well, this is the text that deals with the future of Israel. Now, guys, uh, because it's so full of disagreement and controversy, when I say controversy, I don't mean, it's, it's, just, it's just disagreement in, in, among brothers. Because we're talking about the role that Israel's going to play in the future. Israel, national, ethnic Israel. What role is she going to have, if any? Now, guys, may I say this as we as we start? Because of all that disagreement of opinion, um, all of us, but including the one teaching, we, we've got to we've got to approach this with a real spirit of humility and teachability. My, my goal in in studying Romans eleven is not to show you how right I am and how wrong others are, because I'm not sure I can. But my goal is to bring you to the place that we end. Romans chapter 11, with a sense of 
doxology. That's how Paul ended. Paul investigated, Paul is considering this whole idea of Israel's role, and he ends in doxology. So, I'm hoping that as we study this, we can end in doxology too. Notice he does say in verse 25, uh, this is this is for my own benefit, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. <laughs> now, so lest you all be wise in your own conceits, just know this, this is mysterious stuff. This is... Um, this is interesting. I mean, if you're a history buff, if you're if you're if you love the church, um, th- this is some pretty um, challenging material. I don't. Well, that's enough said. Guys, here we go. Um, Romans 11 is the last of three chapters, a section in Romans that deals with um, uh, Israel. It was brought up, that is, the issue came up because of what Paul taught in Romans 8. I've said this to you before. In Romans 8, Paul is talking about the great security enjoyed by the believer. That is, there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, uh, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things created nor things. Nothing will. That's what he closes Romans 8 with. The believer is safe. But then in light of him having taught that, it spawns a question. Well, Paul, Paul, uh, wait a minute, uh, Paul. How can believers have some sense of eternal security when we clearly see that Jews are not responding to the gospel? Paul, if what you're preaching is true and we see that Israel has rejected God, then how can you continue to tell us that we are everlastingly safe? Do you understand? Paul makes this assertion in Romans 8. The believer is safe. His Part of his Jewish audience says, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Because it appears right now that Israel is on the outs with God. And I thought Israel was pretty much on the ends with God once before. Then if Israel is on the outs with God now, how can you say that there is a safety to the Christians, to the believers' position? How can you say to us that we are everlastingly, eternally safe? And that's what he does in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But chapter 11 takes us in a little bit different of a direction because it addresses Israel's future. Now again, um, the purpose of chapter 11 is to continue his, pardon me, to continue his answer uh, or to continue to try to answer the question of um, people's questioning his teaching on eternal security. The key in understanding this is really found in chapter 9. We went over this two years ago. But you need to look at it. It's in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. It's the second half. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. No, no, no. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Now, guys, that is a key statement. 
not all those who belong to Israel ethnically, nationally, um, really are a part of Israel. You see, he's using the term Israel to mean two things. There's an ethnic Israel, and then there's an Israel that's comprised of believers past, present, and future. You're Israel, ladies and gentlemen. There is an Israel within Israel. (laughs) There is a believing remnant, Israel, within national ethnic Israel. There is an Israel within Israel. Because not all of Israel is Israel. That's key in understanding all this, guys. God never said that he intended to save all of ethnic Israel. That is, if you mean all to mean each and every Israelite, God never intended to do that. Um, and you, you see that in, this, in these other verses of Romans 11, but we'll have to get to that later. Guys, no one is saved because he's a Jew. God's method of saving for Jews and Gentiles is by faith in the finished work of Christ. It's the same for a Jew as it is for a Gentile, and simply to claim that I've got some ethnic leg up because I was born in a particular family, in a particular home, in a particular nation, is, um, is, is utter foolishness. Um, now, look at verse 1. We'll try to cover that tonight. I think we can do that. It's pretty simple. But um, he starts off by saying, I ask then, has God rejected his people? The point is, or the question is, is God finished completely with ethnic Israel? Is he finished with the Jews? He, um, is he now only concerned about Gentiles? Um, and if he is only concerned about Gentiles, what does that mean about the, the, the future of the Jews? The Jews are, at this point... On the outside, are they to always remain on the outside? Well, Paul's immediate answer to that question is no. Has God rejected his people? By no means. Now, guys, so here's here's the first principle. The first principle is, is God finished with the Jews? No. No, he's not finished with them. Now, by way of implication, that means there is a future for the Jews. What is that future? Oh, that's what's going to get us all tangled up. But he says he's not finished with them. Um, so we've got to figure out then what is he going to do with them? What is, what is there? What, what, what future does he, has for, does he have for them? Notice his argument. Uh, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe. Here's what he's saying, guys. How can you say that God has given up on the Jews when he didn't give up on me? I myself am a Jew. Um, and, and not only did he not give up on me, he sees fit to use this Jew. And while there is even one Jew saved, 
then you cannot conclude that God is finished with the Jews. Paul is a remnant of one. Now, he's not the only one, but his argument is, if God were finished with the Jews, he wouldn't have had anything to do with me. But look at me! And not only is he not finished with me or the Jews, he even uses Jews in the ever-expanding scope of his kingdom. Now, guys, um, just as kind of an aside, I want you to notice in verse 1, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I could spend time on each of those terms, uh, an Israelite, descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. But to show you that I am trying to pick up the pace here, I am not going to comment on those three words. Each one of those words is worth exploring. But I'm not going to do that because we want to go faster. Uh, so just notice, I want some, some love. Um, I am not going to bore you with what an Israelite is in the center of Abraham and why he uses that language. He simply says, God is not finished with the Jews and I'm proof. I'm proof that he's not finished with the Jews. I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a descendant of Abraham. So right out of the chute, Paul emphatically states, God is not done with Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, you ain't Jewish. You're a Gentile. You're in essence the, um, the, um, the stepchild that was brought into this thing after uh, he had worked with Judaism. But the point is, we Gentiles, we're, we're not the sum and bonum. He's not finished with Israel. There's something else that he is going to do with Israel. And we're going to get into the details of that and try to settle some of that later. But just for now, what verse 1 simply says is this. He is not finished with Israel. That ought to, that ought to pique your interest. Now, One quick application and I'm done. There's a lesson here, guys. Uh, If you want to call it takeaway, that's really really kind of a a hip corporate term. A little takeaway for you. You know, well, here's a little takeaway for you. Um, what, What this whole discussion ought to do for us is to warn us against the danger and error of presumption. By that I mean this. My safety is not tied to my ethnicity. It is not tied to my church membership. It is not tied to my family heritage. Um, I am eternally, everlastingly safe, not because I'm reformed or an evangelical or a member of such church, nor am I everlastingly and eternally safe because I was born to a godly mommy and daddy. Nor am I eternally safe because I was born as a Jew. Guys, um, this portion that I read you, uh, it talks about the days of Elijah. We'll come back and look at that again. But do you remember that story? The days of Elijah. Uh, Elijah had that big confrontation with the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. It's in uh, Second Kings 18, I think. First Kings 18. First Kings 18. Remember that? He's always up there, and, and, and Elijah's, 
has that big contest and then he gets all um, sad and he's thinking there's, you know, there's nobody left. And, and God says to him, he says right here in this text, oh, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now, think about that. In all of Israel, Elijah, here's your comfort. There are 7,000 of them out there that are genuinely mine. Now, what do you think the total population of Israel was? I don't know, let's say 100,000. It was far bigger than that. But only 7,000 of them, God says, hey, listen, don't you worry about a thing, Elijah. I got 7,000 who are mine. That means 93,000 belong to Baal. They were all Jews. <laughs> out of that whole nation of Israel, and by the way, he talks about remnant, remnant, we'll talk about that, but out of that whole nation of Israel, I got 7,000 of them. But the 93,000, no, they've given their heart to another God. But their ethnicity was their comfort, was their safety. You know, ladies and gentlemen, several years ago, R.C. Sproul, who I mentioned last week, R.C. Sproul spoke. He had one of his Ligonier conferences here, and it and it um, uh, it was it was hosted by Independent Presbyterian Church. So before that conference started, R.C. Sproul spoke to, uh, on the Sunday morning service. Uh, it was when John Sartell was still the pastor. It was several years ago, but uh, R.C. Sproul comes out. And he says to the congregation at Independent Presbyterian Church, very fine church, very uh, well-respected church, very uh, uh, fluty, uh, highfalutin. I mean, it's a nice church. And R.C. Sproul comes out there on a, uh, in the first service, and he says to the congregation, 30% of you. 30%. And what he said is, and I don't know how he said it, but the, the figure was 30%. 30% have not bowed the knee to Baal. The other 70%? So John Sartell, who is the senior pastor at that time, <laughs> after the first service, takes him into his office and says, R.C., don't say that again to the congregation of which I am the pastor. Don't go out there and tell them that 70% of them have not given their hearts to Jesus. Don't do that. So at the second service, R.C. Sproul goes out there and says, 70% of you. 70% of you don't belong to Jesus. He, he, didn't, he didn't take orders. But the, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, we're all called. I mean, I don't know how many members we got here. We probably got 1,300, 1,400 in terms of membership here. You know, we don't even keep membership. Gail can probably, I mean, every year we get, the, we get the membership so that we can have the congregation meeting and vote on officers. That's about the only time we ever figure out how many people are members here. We don't keep up with them. We don't care about that. But let's say there's 1,400. We're all members of Gracie Van. We're all church members. I belong to Gracie Van. I mean, that's a Bible-believing, you know, thumping Bible people carrying their blue-blooded, you know, sword drills. My Jimmy Young is crazy, and and we sing the right songs, and and we're we're the we're good. Well, do you think there's any unbelief among us? Do you think that some could have said, the reason that I'm safe 
is because I belong to Grace Evan. Or I belong to Second Pres, another very fine church. Or I belong to First Evan, another very fine church. Ladies and gentlemen, your safety is not found in your ethnicity, in your church membership, or your family heritage. Your safe there is a warning here against a presumption that all is well when it's not well. Seven thousand in all of Israel, and yet they were all Jews. Fourteen hundred all church members. You think about that. That's good. Our Father, I, I do thank you for all of your kindness shown to us, and um, we understand that our safety is not found because we belong to a Bible-believing church. Our safety is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ and that only. But the only merit we have has nothing to do with a membership or an ethnicity or a family tree. Our merit is one that is alien to us. It was given to us because it belonged to Christ Jesus. And so we come to plead nothing but, nothing less, nothing more than Christ, Christ, Christ and Him crucified. We pray, of course, in His name.